The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. I was sure he'd kill me before 20. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in God. Next, best-selling author Mike Evans asks the question, why was I born? I screamed out to God, why was I born? It made no sense. This woman, she's suffering because of me. This man has despised me every day of my life. Discover God's purpose for living next. Nice to be in a room full of friendly people, and I hope friendly people are joining us. I'm James Robinson, Ben, and I welcome you to life today. We've got a friend. I actually asked uh, before we walked out here, I said, Mike, how long have we, you know, kind of known one another? And he went back to 72, which means it's you know, been 45 years now. And our children uh, went to school together, some of them, and uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, Dr. Mike Evans has written a lot of best selling books. Uh, he's considered in many ways by many people an expert on the Middle East. Uh, he's Jewish. He's going to tell you his testimony. I think it's one of the most painful and yet ends as one of the most miraculous stories you'll ever hear. And uh, he has established a couple of unbelievable places to bring back the right memories. Corey Ten Boom Museum and then the Friends of Zion Museum, which every single person I know, I don't care if it's Governor Huckabee, I don't care if it's my friend Jack Graham at Prestonwood, I don't care who it is that has gone to Israel. With all the Holy Land sites, they will often come back and say, the most powerful and impressive thing I saw while I was in the Holy Land was the Friends of Zion Museum, that the Friends of Mike Evans and the Friends of Zion people who love Israel in the right way with all their heart for the glory of God and because of Jesus. Uh, they built that, and it's fabulous. Would you welcome Dr. Mike Evans to life today? I want you to, uh, I want you to take us on the journey, but I got, I got to ask you a question because you told me we'd known each other 45 years. Yeah. And it was obvious to me and others that you had, and maybe it was, maybe you were hearing me in the Crusades, and God mightily blessed those. Maybe you heard me speak and God blessed the communication. But from the time you have been around me, the respect and appreciation that you have for my ministry somehow, or for me as a person, has always amazed me and puzzled me. Can I ask you why you seem to have a respect for me? Sure, James. You know, I could never please my father there was nothing I could do to get him to affirm me and love me. And when I got called to ministry, I wasn't so imperfect. I didn't know anybody as messed up as me. <laughs> and every preacher that I met seemed to be perfect. Everything about them seemed to be perfect. And I was so frustrated, so miserable, so intimidated. And then one day, <laughs> I met a preacher who was 
ruthlessly vulnerable <laughs> and said things that no one else would say. And it just, it, it touched my heart. It healed my soul because I couldn't, James, I couldn't get affirmation from these perfect people. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I felt totally defeated around them. And when I, when I heard you and I saw you, it was like, there's hope for me. <laughs> There's hope for me. You might have even thought if God can use him, he can sure use me. <laughs> okay, now tell us what your life was like. James, at the age of four, I heard my father hitting my mother and calling her a whore and saying that downstairs is not my son, he's a bastard. I didn't know what a bastard was, but I knew that he was beating my mother up over me. I had no shoes on. I ran away. I only ran about a block to the little park. And there was a bunch of elderly people with breadcrumbs feeding the pigeons. And they saw me and the little nurse said, here, little boy, here's some breadcrumbs. Feed the pigeons. I threw the breadcrumbs down crying and said, I don't want to feed the pigeons. And I knew from the age of four that this man hated me. He despised me. He believed that my mother had an affair with a Jewish man and I was not his son. And he started abusing me. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get his affirmation. I remember one day I found a jackknife in the snow. I was so proud of myself. I brought it home and I said, look what I found. I was probably eight years old. He said, you're a liar. God hates liars. You stole that jackknife. I will beat you till you tell the truth. God hates liars. He took me down in that basement and stripped me completely naked and took an extension cord. And he started beating me with that extension cord. I went hysterical. He said, I'll beat you to you and then beat you. For, and I went all over myself and he kept beating me and beating me until I would make up a lie. And I was so hysterical, I couldn't make a lie. He beat me and he beat me. And then he threw me in a canning cellar. And I was covered with welts. I was alone. I was frightened. I was a broken little boy. I, I never heard, anytime I saw him, he's going to hurt me. He never called me son. He never said, I love you. He never affirmed me once. And my goal in life was to be 20. Now, my mother around the age of four, I was watching cartoons one day and they went off and Billy Graham came on. She ran over and she shut the TV off. She said, don't you ever watch that again. Christians kill Jews. Christians hate Jews. Jesus died, don't dig him up. The Pope, Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler, they're all Christians. My mother's said, I named you after your grandfather your great-grandfather, who was a rabbi in Belarus, he was burnt to death in his synagogue by, with 2,000 Jews by Christians. And she said, don't ever watch it. Well, my mother was Jewish, but my father claimed to be a Christian. He went to church every Sunday. They called him Brother Bob. Mm. Brother Bob, but every Friday night, he walked to the Twilight Cafe and got drunk. And he was a mean drunk. Mm. He'd come home between 1 or 2 in the morning, violent, every Friday night was the same routine, sitting my mother down in a chair and beating her up and calling her a Jewish whore. Because of that upstairs, me. I remember on a, and it was, our community was, 
anti-Semitic. I mean, I didn't know what anti-Semite was, but I got beat up for being a kike, which my mother said that's Yiddish for Christ killer. Mm. And then they'd throw tomatoes and eggs at my mother on Fridays when she pushed the grocery cart. I'd push a grocery cart to the ANP. She didn't drive. And they'd call her a Jew witch and they'd throw those. And they'd spray her, spray into the house. Jew witch spray painted it. Well, I loved my mother, but the only thing I knew is, is this poor woman is being abused because of me. And this man hates me. I didn't see a purpose for my life. And I had a dream and a goal to be alive at 20. And I remember many times in gym, they came to my house because they'd see my back and my legs and I'd lie. I wouldn't tell them my father did that. In school on a Tuesday, they asked the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, James, at that time, I was so messed up. I, I had a speech impediment. I had a stomach ulcer. I couldn't hardly look. I couldn't look a man in the eye. I walked with my head down. I was broken, completely broken. And I said, stuttering, 20. And everybody laughed, but they didn't know. My goal was to be alive at 20. I was sure he'd kill me before 20. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in God. I thought it was all fake. I said to myself, oh yeah, the Christians who are smart, they're Presbyterians or Methodists. If they're kind of average, they're Baptist. If they're complete idiots, they're Pentecostal. <laughs> I thought it was all fake because sure. he was a fake. And this man, I mean, he made us go to church on Sundays. I remember the preacher preaching on tithing and, and devotions. So he come home, Brother Flowers, a pastor. He said, you're going to have devotions. I will beat the out of you. He sat us all down and took an extension cord. And said, now you read that Bible, you pray. We didn't know how to pray, James. We didn't know how to read the Bible. So he starts swinging that extension cord and hitting us with that extension cord. I'll, and he had, a, he had Jack Daniels and he had goofballs. They were some kind of psychiatric meds he was taking from World War II. And he, he called them goofballs. And he'd take them with his Jack Daniels. But then every Sunday, and he had his Thompson Chain Bible by his bed. <laughs> And, but every Sunday he was in church and they, this is brother Bob. Well, brother Bob was probably the meanest man I ever knew and the angriest man I ever knew. I never met anybody like this man. And I wanted to protect my mother, but I couldn't. I was so frightened of him and I couldn't. And one day I got the courage up on a Friday night. He came in one to two in the morning and he's, sitting her in the chair and slapping her. She wore sunglasses a lot because of black eyes. And you Jewish whore, that's not my son. That's a bastard. And, and I'm sitting there crying, which happened a hundred times. And as I'm crying, I, I got my courage up. And I said, stop it. And when I said, stop it, he looked up those stairs and saw me. He ran up those stairs and grabbed me by my throat and lifted me way above his head and started strangling me. I remember trying to hold on to those fingers and looking in those eyes and I thought, I'll never make it to 20. It's over tonight. And I passed out and I, was in a, I woke up in a fetal position covered with a, my own dried vomit. And I remember my prayer, James. It was anger. I was alive and I was mad. I screamed out to God, why was I born? 
It made no sense. This woman, she's suffering because of me. This man has despised me every day of my life and abused me. Why was I born? Why couldn't he have ended it? And when I prayed that prayer of rage and anger, all of a sudden, I saw a bright light, real bright. And I thought it was my father. I thought he came back with a spotlight. He's going to finish me off. So I threw my hands up to protect my face. But there was no screaming. There was no anger. There was no rage. And I, I didn't know what it was. So I peeked through my fingers and I saw two nail-scarred hands. But the scars weren't here. They were way up high here. And they were coming at me. And then I looked at the eyes. Every color of the rainbow was in the eyes. And they were smiling eyes. I'd never seen a man's eyes smile into the eyes of Jesus. Mm. And I could see, it was like Magnus. When you look at the eyes, you couldn't stop looking at them. They just drew you in. And he kept smiling at me with those eyes. And I first thought, am I crazy? Have I lost my mind? Well, I don't even believe in this. What is happening to me? And as, as he's smiling at me, he said three words. First, he said, son. James, I didn't realize until he said it, I had never heard the word son. My mother never called me son. She loved me. She couldn't say it. Then he said, I love you. I'd never heard the word I love you. <laughs> if I said to my mother, I love you, she'd say, me too, me too. But she had been abused. Then he said a third word, I have a great plan for your life. And he left. I've never seen him again. I've never heard his voice again. But that night I had hope for the first time in my life. I would have been dead, I'm sure, James. I'd have been a drug addict or an alcoholic, or God forbid I could have ended up like him. But I had hope. I didn't tell a soul this story for over 20 years. I didn't even tell my own wife when we got married. But I never met anybody as messed up as me, James, as broken, as in desperate need of affirmation and love, and didn't know how to get it. And I know I wasn't going to get it from my father. It just wasn't going to happen. I mean, this man hated me. He despised me. And when God called me, I knew I was called to ministry. And when I was called to ministry, I, did, I couldn't relate. When I came down to Bible school, I asked them two questions. Where do we get our robes? And do they hurt Jews here? Mm. I figured all Christians hurt Jews. That's just part of being a Christian is to cuss out a Jew or to hurt a Jew. So I figured, well, you know, I better get used to it because there's going to be a lot more of that. But that's why I loved you, because I had never met a minister or a preacher except all the perfect ones. They seemed so perfect. And I was so imperfect. I was so broken and I wanted affirmation. When I started in the ministry, I wanted to succeed so people would like me. But the more I tried to succeed, the more they rejected me. If I tried to tell them what I did, they looked at me like, and they rejected me more. And it was breaking me. It was killing me because I couldn't get the affirmation, which I never got from my dad. And I desperately needed it and I wanted it. I only had it once. I only had it once from Jesus. And I didn't know he's coming again. So that's why my heart was so touched towards you because I saw for the first time in my life a minister 
who was authentic, mm-hmm. who was willing to be real and to be honest. And I also heard from you the brokenness you went through. And you're the only guy I ever heard it from that I said to myself, you know, I know how screwed up I am. I know I'm not healed. I know that, you know, I, I want to be healed. I know you love me, Jesus. And, you know, someone asked me the other day, James, they said, Mike, you, you got so much faith. God uses you in such. I said, oh, no, I don't. I said, let me tell you something. The greatest things in my life have happened at the most difficult times. The times I was faithless, the times I was so broken that Christ showed up and loved on me and ministered to me and called me and touched me, used me. I said, I, I'm not coming to you telling you how great I am or how much faith I have because it, it's not the truth. I said, something about that draws him. And let me just say, you've got a book that's in the stores now. Yeah. This airs. Why was I born? Why were you born? It's beautiful. Yeah. That's my and the question. Cover, the cover's on where everybody's seeing it at, at home. Yeah. And they can get it. And your website, let's listen to me. The museum is incredible. You can look at beautiful, beautiful portrayals and images of what's happened there. Make you want to go there. The Corey Tim Boom Museum. You did that to bring healing. You've been a healing factor for Israel probably as much as anybody. And I want everybody watching to know God not only has worked, but is working miracles in his life and through his life. And I want you to pray for Mike. I want you to go online and see what he does. I really want you to consider getting the book. Be a tremendous blessing to you. I want to say thank you, Betty and I together, because our daughter knew your children well, the one that's in heaven and our son, uh, Randy, who just loves your family. I want you to know I'm proud of you. Would you all say to Mike Evans, thank God for you, Mike. Thank you for sharing your testimony. We don't have time to tell it. You said, look, did you not lead that father to Christ ultimately? I, I led him for, to the Lord. The Lord, first thing I did is the Lord said, give him a gift that he doesn't deserve. Give him unconditional forgiveness. Now, the hard part about it, James, I, I thought that was condoning him or, or trusting him, but I realized he wasn't either. And I did end up leading him to the Lord, yes. So it's a miracle. Don't you thank God? Would you just say again, thank God for what you're doing and have done. Mike, you know how involved we are in mission work all over the world. Yes. Our missionaries have asked for 71 trucks right now and vehicles, mm-hmm. some of them motorbikes. I want to look at all of you and say, please, please help those missionaries. They are reaching out to people that are the most unnoticed people on the planet. Would you please right now watch closely and let's be an answer to their prayer and their requests. Watch closely. Listen, do you hear that? That's the sound of joy when someone has been the answer to your prayers. Maybe they have brought your whole village life by supplying clean drinking water. Or it could be simply the sheer excitement of receiving and wearing your very first pair of shoes. But all of this joy could slowly come to a stop. The reason, the lack of reliable transportation for life's missionary partners around the world. One such example is in Southeast Asia. 
Here, four-wheel vehicles are necessary to travel over rough and challenging terrain to reach children at risk of human trafficking and transporting them to safe homes. In the Ukraine, deep in the remote areas of the Carpathian Mountains, mission partners reaching out to families in desperate need must face the constant challenge of maneuvering vehicles in the ice and snow. While mission teams in India have to navigate incredible obstacles to share a film on the life of Christ with those who have never heard the name of Jesus. The challenges our mission partners face are threefold. They either have transportation that is worn out and unreliable. They need additional transportation to meet the growing needs of those they're reaching out to, or they do not have the proper transportation to meet the challenges of the terrain they must travel. Over the years of, that we've had uh, our car, it has uh, absolutely taken a battering and it's at a point now where it is very regularly falling apart. Uh, it is needing a lot of repair and a lot of help to try and keep it on the road. We're an aftercare facility for girls aged 5 to 16 who have been trafficked, raped, prostituted, or they're at risk of one of those things. Tim Hughes' situation is just one example of what our mission partners must face each day. Transportation literally means lives will be saved on the mission field. As Betty once stated, I don't just see a truck, I see life. You see how critical the transportation is. Here's one of the trucks pulling, trucks pulling out. Be a part of saving lives in word and deed through Mission Transport Life. Boy, you said something really strong there, because when you said, I don't see trucks, I do see life, you really knew what you were talking about. I really do. I, I see so much more than just the vehicles, which are so important because they carry life to these precious children, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, those that are being trafficked. And, and they need a place, a safe haven, but they need the transportation to carry these children to to the safe place that they need to be. And we need you to join with us. Look at the vehicles as life, because that's what they are. Please help us. It's so very, very important. Well, they actually are delivering hope. Um, when we tell you they're worn out, and the missionaries showed us, and you've seen images of them, and that uh, we tried to communicate it with you, even to some of our friends through the mail, to show you what condition they're in. I don't know if you noticed, but it was hard for that missionary to be talking about a truck. It's almost like you're buying something that's a non-essential. But it's a life source. It is, it's their delivery system. And uh, for us to come to you and tell you that right now, just suddenly, uh, not expected, all the missionaries tell us, and they laid it out, this is the specific need. We need 71 vehicles, the majority of them some kind of a truck, various sizes, but over a million dollars. Would you please right now, would you be an answer to that prayer? It could happen today. I mean, we could easily have a thousand people say, you know what, we'll give a thousand dollars. But you see, the real issue is, would you be one of them? But you know, the fact is, there are a lot of people who as honestly as you could ever be. So I couldn't give a thousand dollars no matter how much I wanted to. But you could give something. And when all of us join together, that, that's what makes the, the Christian body function to look like Jesus. All the parts coming together, our heart beating with the Father's heart, with the shepherd's heart, the Lord, and then us reaching out. What do you have? That's what he asked when they needed to 
feed the 5,000. What do you have? You got a kid here that's got fish and loaves. Well, would you let me have what you have? If it's $40 or 80 or 120, some level, whatever it is, and I just threw those numbers out as possibilities. We're going to send a beautiful uh, CD instrumental of the great hymns, the sweetest sounds, the sweetest songs, and also a booklet that tells the history of how they were inspired. We also are offering the most beautiful large print Bible I've ever seen, and I've never seen one with nicer leather. This is absolutely fabulous. And we're saying thank you for those of you who would make what for some would be a sacrificial gift of $120. But at whatever level you can help, we send the beautiful Determined Eagle Bronze, and it is spectacularly beautiful to say thank you for meeting a critical need that may not touch people's hearts like it should, but it really is the life source of reaching out and delivering. And also, as some have said so often, taking these children or rescuing, even these we've gotten that are trafficked, taking them to a safe haven, taking them where they need to go to grow. Would you right now go to that website? Would you dial the number, take your bike card and use it like a check? And you just make the gift God puts on your heart. We have some gifts to bless you, but you're gonna be blessing missionaries and all the people they put the arms of God's love around. Thank you for doing it. It's a missionary's nightmare, having life-saving relief supplies in your hand and no way to get it to those who are suffering. Some of the vehicles so vital to our outreaches are completely worn out and must be replaced. And in some critical areas, no transportation is available at all. Life's mission partners have immediate and urgent needs to transport life-saving supplies to children and families in remote locations. An additional $1.1 million is needed to purchase 71 vehicles, large and small. Your gift of $40, $80, $120, or $1,000 will help purchase these vehicles and provide life-saving food, clean water, medicine, and the good news of Jesus to people in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request the sweetest name, Classic Hymns CD, with a booklet containing the history behind the hymns for all 12 songs. With your gift of $120 or more, please request the NIV Supergiant Print Reference Bible, ideal for anyone looking for a Bible that's gentle on the eyes. Finally, please prayerfully consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help transport life, and you may request our beautiful Determined Eagle bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online. I want to mention again, and there you can see it on the screen, Mike Evans' book, Why Was I Born? Yeah. Well, we know why. Yeah. And uh, let me say thank you for helping us get those trucks. We know why Mike Evans was born. Would you just say thank God? Thank you, Mike Evans. Thank you, Mike. Love you, buddy. Love you and your family. Thank all of you for being here. Thank you for watching Life Today. Go to the website Mike Evans has. Look what he's been able to build for the glory of God. Friends of Zion Museum. Look at it.
Next week, best-selling authors Mark Batterson and John Eldridge team up in this special episode to discuss the connection between our earthly and heavenly fathers. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.